Who's ready for the word today? Hallelujah. Man, I'm excited. As many of you know, we have been in a message series. It's actually a four-part series that's been going on for six weeks. Scratch your head a little bit on that. Um, but we are concluding our message series today, part four of Church Myths. Church Myths. So in the first three parts of the series, you can go back on our podcast channel, our website, and watch the previous uh, parts. We are debunking myths with scripture, debunking myths that people think about church, things that are false or bad views, dysfunctional views that people have about the local church. We're taking a lot of time to go through and do this because what we're saying is we're, we're taking an empathetic position. And can I just say something? That's really always how we need to approach these things when people have struggles with the Bible or with faith-based matters, just to understand, it's like Paul says, hey, don't forget, okay, please, he says this to the church, that you yourselves were once lost in the dissipation of all of these things. Let's never forget that, right? And so when we look at some of these challenges that people have, we're taking an empathetic approach and we're saying we realize that many of these false or bad views about church that people have, they did not just arrive at them erroneously. They have had bad experiences. They've had hurts, wounds, past experiences, things that have taken place where they have maybe encountered an unhealthy or bad representation of the church that Jesus actually wants us to look like. And so it's kind of like they got the wrong thing, but then that establishes some false belief systems or bad belief systems. And then the problem is that can begin to impede or form like a barrier between the way people live their lives and then relate to the body of Christ or take their place in the local church. And we want to help people overcome those things. We want to help people get past those things. As I've had an opportunity to pray and meditate on a lot of these scriptures and the series and the message, I really believe that the reason the Holy Spirit has led us to this series at this time, and I hope that you know that and that you appreciate that, when we have a message or a series or anything like that, you know, we don't just sort of cavalierly come up with these things like, ooh, this is a good, you know, this is catchy and this is fun and think like this is what, you know, people get excited about. We, we seek first and foremost, what is God saying and what does God want to speak? What does he want to say right now to his people? And that's what drives everything. And so I believe the reason the Holy Spirit led us to this series right now is because during this time of pandemic 2020, COVID-19, we have seen statistically and through a lot of, you know, feedback, surveys, things like that, people in our world are a lot more open right now than they ever have been or have been in a long time regarding faith-based matters, spiritual matters, and questions to things like, what is there beyond this life? Does that make sense? People are very open and I like it or not, during times like this, that seems to be a softening that does occur in the hearts of people. And so I believe the Holy Spirit led us to this series because as people are beginning to reconnect with the church or come into the church that have had bad experiences or have these kind of bad views that they've been carrying for a long time that perhaps were never dealt with before. And the Lord is saying, as these people come back to the church and begin to kind of really get connected in the body of Christ again, begin to grow in their faith again, that many of these things that were holding them back, if we don't go back and deal with those things, kind of uncover those and deal with them, then somewhere down the line, those same challenges and those same problems are going to lead to unhealthy outcomes again. It's a pattern that's going to repeat itself in people's lives. That makes sense. And so I just really am excited about I think what this word and this series is doing to break things down, some unhealthy things that have begun to stand in the way in between people and their relationship and their place in the body of Christ. Because how many know that the Bible says, right, in Psalms 92, that if we want to flourish in the courts of our God, we must get planted in the house of the Lord. So you, you can't deny scripturally that our place in our relationship in the house of God, in the church, in the body of Christ is critically important 
to our ability to grow and flourish in the calling and destiny that God has for us on our lives. And if we won't, if we're not planted and rooted in good soil growing in the body of Christ, then there is an element of our calling, our flourishing, the nature of our calling that is being affected negatively by those bad views and unhealthy relationships that maybe people have in the local church. So on that note, let's go into Matthew 16, and we're going to kick off this morning where we began in part one. Almost as like a revisit quickly in summary. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, and folks, this is a question that I just urge you to think about, is a question that we all need to be able to answer for ourselves, as if Jesus is asking you this question. And he asked them, he says, well, who do you say that I am? Never mind what everybody else is saying. I want to know who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, well, you're Christ, the son of God, the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, that's right, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now here we have the first introduction in Scripture, chronologically, that the word church and the idea of church appears. So Jesus is introducing this now for the first time. Okay, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you today. Let's just pray for a minute. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your timely word. It is always fresh bread, God, that nourishes us. You said man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We ask you, God, that you would just nourish our souls today with that eternal word, Lord, that it would be life-giving, that it would bring life, release springs of living water into all areas of our lives today. I ask you, Lord, that you would use me, this broken vessel. God, I'm nothing without you. There's no doubt about that. I need you so desperately, and in this moment, I pray that you would just use me to speak what it is that you want to speak to us today. God, soften our hearts. Yeah, that's it. Would you just soften our hearts and just kind of till the ground, prepare the soil right now, Lord, so that the word that comes forth is, is like you say, seed that falls on good soil that can become the implanted word, not seed that falls on stony ground or hard ground, but it would become the implanted word that takes up root and residency in our heart, begins to grow and produce fruit in every area of our lives. We're asking you for that today, Lord. I'm asking you to just do what you want to do in this place. This, this is your house. We are your people. You are in charge. You're number one. God, just lead us, guide us, direct us, and, and do anything that you want to do in this place today. We, we just announced that this climate, this environment, is one of yielding to you. Lord, you are granted full permission in this house, to do whatever you want to do in this place, God. Move whatever direction you want to go. And may it all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So going back to these verses, we see here that Jesus is introducing the idea of the church. And what I want you to get here is, I want you to get the picture of the church that Jesus gives us. Because that's the, that's the authoritative position. We can all have opinions about church and things like that. But we want to have the picture of church that Jesus gives us. And that's what we want to base our belief system, our faith, our lives around. And this is what's amazing to me is that when Jesus introduces the idea of church, gathered ones, assembling ones called out ones, we become a family together in his name. He, he shows us a picture of a people that are victorious. 
I hope you see that. Like the church, he says, listen, the church, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. He's saying, whatever you declare, you're doing in an authority that I've given you, and I'm going to back you up. That's what he's saying. That's amazing. So the church is really, the picture of church that I see when we read these verses is a very influential, transformational, highly relevant group in, in the world in every era or period of time. That hasn't changed since then, by the way, because we're still in the church age, right? And so it's victorious. It's moving forward. It's advancing. It's influencing society. The church's voice is really regarded and sought out, and spiritual matters are considered of great significance in the land and with the people. That is when a culture is really thriving and healthy. And when we look around, we can see that in a lot of cases, people have experienced church in a way that doesn't really align with that picture that Jesus gave. Would you agree with that? Maybe have some sort of an experience that hurt them or wounded them or let them down or didn't look anything like what Jesus really came to set up. And that's going to happen because we live in a world. But we want to really work through those things so that truth can prevail. So we're not basing our life and our decisions and our actions around some false theology or ideology or bad doctrine that's all jacked up. Does that make sense? And so uh, we're going through these myths. We have went through seven. We're going to go through three more today, eight, nine, and ten. So we have ten myths when we're done to wrap up this series. And uh, I'm really excited. Nine and ten we're going to have a lot of fun with. Number eight is a little bit serious. So I'm just kind of, that was like the whole tone for the other services, right? So number eight is a little serious. Nine and ten are a lot of fun. Uh, But number eight is really important to me because I feel like it's one of those myths that maybe people, it's different than the others because maybe people haven't thought about it a lot consciously. But if there's a bad or a wrong view around it, it can really mess up our thinking about church. All right, so let's put it up there. Myth number eight is church is a business. Church is a business. Now, make no mistake about it, and you'll hear me say this a lot. I mean, I'm background of entrepreneur, and for 20 years, I've always had a side project or something going in the entrepreneurial space, and I love that. So you'll hear me talk about that a lot. But we, we run the church like a business, but the church, the entity of the church is not a business. Now, I want to explain that to you, okay? So, yes, we run the church like a business. We prepare annual budgets. We make sure that we are bringing in more than we're spending. We make sure there's healthy cash reserves. We make sure there's more assets than liabilities on our balance sheet. We have staff, job descriptions, internal policies, liability insurance. I mean, we've, we've got all those things, right? So it is run like a business. Praise God, I'm so thankful for Pastor Mike, who's our executive pastor, is, since he's come Here in the last year and a half, the level of excellence that we do this with has just went to an entirely new level. And so we believe that that has to be done, right? But when you look at the definition of a business, there's a lot of them, and you can find a bunch depending on where you go. But boiling it down to one very simple kind of definition of business is it's an entity that provides a product or a service for the sake of a profit. Does that make sense? An entity that provides a product or a service for the sake of a profit. Now, this is where we begin to see that the church kind of takes on a different category. Because the church exists for an eternal mission. And the church exists to advance a heavenly kingdom within a finite world. That's huge. Because... The definition of business is finite in nature, right? But the definition of the way the church functions and the mission of the church is that it is eternal. And so while when you look at a business, you might say, well, the bottom line is profitability. At the end of the day, that's the bottom line. With the church, at the end of the day, the bottom line is always people, okay? It's always people. 
And I want to give you an example. I can give you a lot, but just this is one that comes to mind. It's really important to me. When we decided to plant Life Church X in 2016, and we launched out of another church that we were a part of for many, many years, right? I was on staff over there. We launched out. When we went, came, sat down with Pastor Rick, said, hey, we're, we're feeling that God's leading us to leave, called to plant this new church. Very difficult, you know, situation for us, but exciting at the same time. We didn't want to leave all that we loved and people we loved, but we knew God was leading us into something new. So when we went back and we said that, Pastor Rick said, hey, and, and Pastor Josh, his son, and Pastor Mike, who was actually on staff over there at that time, said, we, we, we are behind you, and we believe God is in this, and here's what we want to do. We want to support you and this church plant for the next six months once you go off staff. In fact, we're going to give you a couple months just to kind of get things in order, and then you'll go off staff in a, few, in a couple of months, and then when you do, we're going to pay your salary, and it's not going to change. We're going to pay your family's health insurance, and we're going to pay all of the bills and expenses that are necessary for the next six months that you've laid out to launch this church. We're going to give you that runway. Now, I just want to say to you that, one, that took an incredible amount of weight off of Katie and I and allowed us to really be able to focus at a new level of clarity. But two, when people are the main thing, you do things like that. It doesn't make a lot of sense from a profitability standpoint. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't make a lot of sense from that regard. But when people are the main thing, then we step out and we do things to, in it, to advance an eternal mission that is heavenly in nature. And I think that that's very exciting. And so we've got to view the church as it's, it's, it's more than a business. Run like a business, yes, but it functions on a much higher level than just like a business is by its organizational structure. Another thing we look at in a business is that the way control works, right? In a business, you have some of them are sole proprietorships that are individually owned and operated. Some of them are limited liability corporations. There can be partnerships or individuals there. Some are corporations and their shareholders. Here's the basic gist of that is whoever owns the biggest piece of the pie has the most say. I'm, now, in a business, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that that's a negative thing, but I'm saying that the church is very, very different. We don't have shares of the church. We don't have shareholders that own percentages, and whoever has the greatest percentage is the one calling all of the shots. In fact, God owns the church, and his people, like, nobody owns any piece of Life Church X, right? It's a, it's a church, and so it exists differently and functions differently. And so where the importance of this comes is the way that a church is governed or ought to function based on biblical model all right and there's different interpretations of that but i want to give you ours and i think this is very important it's important i think to to talk about these things in the beginning when people are wanting to make a decision like is this the church that i want to plant my feet is this the church where i want my roots to go down because these things are important that we have alignment on we believe that the church ought to be governed by a method or a model that's called theocratic governance, okay? Theocratic, which means theos, God, cratic, govern. God, govern. Let me say it another way, spirit-led. You say, well, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Listen, just hang with me for a minute. We believe that God, the voice of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit is the ultimate say-so and the ultimate decision-maker in everything that we are to do as a church. Say it like this, Jesus is the CEO. And it's kind of catchy, but it's true. Jesus is the CEO. Listen to this. This is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 in the Amplified Version. It says, he is also the head, Jesus, listen to this, the life source and leader of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and he himself will occupy the first place. He will stand supreme and preeminent in everything. So it's saying, look, at the end of the day, Jesus is the head 
and we are the body connected to the head, and the head is the one that has the say-so. So if we're functioning properly, what we're saying is that the Spirit of God is speaking, guiding, and leading all things that we do as a church. Does that make sense? Theocratic. God governed. Spirit-led. So we live in a democracy. Democratic, which means people, demo, govern. Democratic. Now, I thank God for our de democratic society. We have an opportunity to vote. And let me just say this. I would encourage you that you should vote. That's something that you should do. Now, as a pastor, my job is not to tell you who to vote for. In fact, I don't even want to do that. But my job is to teach and educate our church on biblical principles and to encourage you that the principles that exist in this word, in your decision-making and your voting, ought to be elevated to the highest priority in the way you go about making those decisions. Does that make sense? So, <clears throat> you say, well, how does this work in the church, you know, practically speaking, theocratic governance? Well, we are senior pastor-led, right? We believe in a singular role of that. And then we are elder-governed, and then church or congregation owned and executed. So, let me just give you an example of how that works, right? So, my role as a senior pastor is to continue to pray, seek God for vision and direction. A real simple way that we say this is senior pastor's role is to lead and feed. Feed the, feed the flock, feed the congregation, the word of God, teach, and then lead. Find vision, what God is saying and doing, and then lead from that vision for the how. And so when, we, when I pray and seek God, what are you doing, God? What are you saying? What are you speaking for the church? But then when God speaks and he's giving vision, then we go and we have our board of elders that we meet with. And we come together and I say, hey, uh, I think God's speaking that we're going to take on in this new campus. God's opening a door for a new campus, or, you know, I feel like we need to step out and we need to pursue this expansion project on land in Waterloo. God wants to expand in the next few years, things like that. And then we come together and we say, okay, well, let's, let's pray about that. And then we begin to pray together and we strive to find a place of unity. And we believe that this elder board is appointed by God, put in place. And so then the Lord begins to speak and we come together and we say, you know what? I think that that's what God is saying. I believe that too. I have witness in my spirit. We, we say, yeah, we think this is what the Lord is doing. And then now we move on the execution of that vision. And we have staff, we have ministry leaders, we have congregation, we, and we all begin to carry out the work of ministry as God is leading us into. But this is why that's so important is because you have this unity and accountability. And so if we come together and we say, man, I'm not sure I'm feeling that, or I don't know, I'm not hearing the Lord speak about that, and we don't really have that unity, we pause. We pause. We say, well, let's wait. Let's just keep praying about it. Let's see. Maybe, maybe God's up to a little bit more than we're seeing. Let's, let's revisit this again. And we make sure that we find that place of unity so that we are making decisions in the most healthy way that we see we can make them based on a scriptural model. Okay, And then beyond that, we have what we would call like apostolic oversight. So that is a covering of the apostolic nature that's over our church, this local church. But it's a covering that exists itself even within the church, the body of Christ. So we have the Gateway Network. We have Pastor Rick. I refer to both of those as like an apostolic covering. They're not involved in the day-to-day -day decisions and weekly outworkings of things. I mean, that would be impossible anyway, practically. But when we need to have counsel, advice, and input, or things that we want them to weigh in on or that they want to weigh in on, we have given the permission and the place for them to be able to have that kind of voice in the health of this church. So it's a, it's a covering. And that's very, very important. One, it makes me feel safe and secure. Two, it's good for us as a church to know that we are governed in a healthy way. And so when we, uh, let's just say, for example, in a, in a business scenario where there's something that happens to the individual leader, maybe there's a, some sort of a corruption or moral failure, or maybe there's just an illness, a sickness, something like that, the person with all the power, if they choose to, could actually take that ship all the way to the bottom of the ocean and refuse to relinquish anything. But in the way our system is set up, our model is set up, based on, we believe, biblical model, something were to happen, 
our apostolic oversight and our board could step in and say, Pastor Matt, you know, we believe that uh, we, we want you to get healthy and we want the church to be healthy. And so we need to take some measures to ensure that that's going to happen. So there's safety and accountability because of that. But some people and some models that function in church are different. They function more like a democracy where it's all committee driven and it's all organized and driven by a bunch of committees organizing a bunch of votes, hiring, firing the pastor, making all of those kinds of decisions. And then certain ones would potentially have more say so based on whatever, you know, I've had scenarios where people felt like because they were really large givers that they should have a special say so in the vision of the church. That because of, you know, that place that that's what they should have. And I, I just say respectfully that we have never been a church that's been set up like that. And we never will be. There are churches out there that work like that. There's plenty of them. But this is not one of them. And I just, I say that in the beginning when people come, I want to talk to them about that because I feel like it's something that's important. We have alignment around what healthy governance looks like. And the last thing I'll say about this is one of the things about Gateway, if you talk to people there, and I've asked a lot of questions of different pastors and they're in, inside the organization, and like, what do you think some of the reasons that Gateway is so healthy and has done so much, you know, 40,000 people in 20 years and all that? Like, it really kind of boils down to two things. I mean, the obvious thing is, of course, God's done all this, but practically it boils down to two things. One, Pastor Robert has an unwavering commitment to the true word of God. He, he is inundated in the word, his time, his schedule, everything he does is fully committed to that. He does not deviate from that, and, and he is just, the word drives everything. So his commitment to the word of God is huge. And number two is the healthy governance of Gateway Church and the way that it's led, theocratic, spirit-led, all the way down through the organization, it's healthy at every single level. And so I just say that because I think it's important. I like to go through this. If people think the church needs to operate like a business or should function that way, a lot of times there's just misalignment, I, I believe, in the way that the Bible kind of lays out that the church is supposed to function. So myth that was myth number eight. Myth number nine, we're going to start to have some fun here. You're going to like this. Church should stay out of my personal life. Church should stay out of my personal life. Let me say it like this. I think we are living in a time where we are breeding a culture of people that are offended at everything. Anybody agree with me on that? Are we all, I think we're all in the same boat on that one, right? Everybody's offended at everything. I didn't offend you. I'm offended that you didn't offend me. And I don't know. I mean, what, where do we land on this thing? Everybody's just so easily uh, offended and it's almost like this mentality when it comes to church now, it's, it's beginning to affect things where, you know, I go to church to get the goods, but man, the church shouldn't be able to say anything about my personal life. The church shouldn't be able to have any in, say so or input in kind of this space. Like church is this category over here for me, but man, I'm never going to allow it to get any closer into my personal space. And so then they keep the distance on that. Does that make sense? And so... The problem is, is that when we never go any deeper in our relationships than that, and it's always surface level, then we'll never be able to really experience the fullness and the fulfillment that the relationships in the body of Christ are designed and intended to give us, the way that God has created this. It's almost like, you know, just kind of stay out of my space, don't have a say in these parts of my life. And that's where they want to keep it. Now, I would acknowledge, again, most of these myths try to say, hey, I realize people get here in these places for good reasons. I would acknowledge that there have been many situations that people have experienced, even explained to me, where people in the church have come at them with that, you know, shaking bony finger kind of thing, that preachy mentality you ought not to do, you ought not to do, you ought not to do, you need to do this, you need to do that. And it's just this whole like very overbearing, brash approach to trying to insert themselves into people's lives. Well, that doesn't work either. 
in case you haven't figured that out, right? We, we have the healthy uh, dynamic of this when those voices and that insight and influence is invited and welcomed in, when we give place to that. And too many times people want to insert themselves in someone else's life and kind of just be preachy at them and say, well, I, you know, I'm just preaching the truth in love. Come on, you know, come on. You, you, you're inserting yourself into someone's life who has not given you permission to do that. I mean, when we say that wise counsel is helpful, it's because we've been led by the Lord and he's put people around us who provide that healthy insight into our lives and we've given them that place. So when people abuse that, it can create these walls where people say like, I don't want church to have any part of my personal life. And then they live, it's almost like existential, you know, where church is outside here, but never really get inside that personal box. And folks, I would just say that that, that is very, very unhealthy. We have to open ourselves up to the kinds of relationships that can actually have an influence and speak into our lives when it really is that truth in love. Because here's what happens when people who care about us and love us have nothing but our best interest in mind, right? That's the key. They have nothing but our best interest in mind. There's no other skin in the game other than they love you and they care about you and they want God's best for you. So anything that they would say, whether it's encouraging or it's difficult to hear, there's no reason they're doing that other than they care about you and love you. So when the things that are hard to hear are heard, we can step back and say, man, ugh, that was hard to hear, but I really trust that God's put these people in my life. Maybe there's something to that. I need to really pray and let God deal with me on this thing if there's something that I'm not seeing, because what this type of relationship process does and affords us is the ability to see our blind spots ability to see our blind spots and we all have them and we all need them right listen to this proverbs 27 17 says this iron sharpens iron so one person should sharpen another now everybody loves this verse don't you love that verse Iron sharpens iron. Everybody loves that verse. Everybody wants the sharp edge to their life. But the reality is, is that very few people are really willing to endure the heat and friction that iron sharpening iron really requires. They want the sharp edge. But the friction and the process of sharpening that creates heat is often undesirable to our flesh. And so we abort mission, <laughs> you know. But that's how we get the edge to our lives. You say, well, I don't like this. Well, take it up with God. He set it up this way. I don't know what else to say. Like, he set it up this way, and he's the one who set it in this order. He says, I've created you to live in community, and better yet, here's how community is going to function. The relationships around you, they're going to sharpen you. There'll be an edge to your life that will be gained because of the relationships that are really truly biblical, godly relationships around you. Iron sharpens iron. Last thing I'll say about that is this. When you trust the relationships and even, let's say, leadership in the church around you, this is one of the things that I, I've learned, kind of, I guess, God's just help me see. I'm actually not trust. I mean, I am, but more so than just the people, than trusting them, I'm actually trusting God. Does that make sense? I'm saying, God, if you put those people in my life, if, if, if you've led them here and you've put them in my life, I mean, these are, we're all imperfect people. Nobody's going to say everything right. I'm not saying that you hold anybody to that standard. I'm just saying that they're there for a reason, and you, by opening ourselves up to that kind of relationship, we're saying, God, I'm actually trusting you above even trusting people, because I'm trusting that you are in control and that you're taking care of me in this whole thing called community and relationship that you've designed me to live in. And let me just say this, you can trust him with it. You can. 
because he wants what's best for you all of the time. Yes, we make wise decisions. Yes, we seek out counsel. But at the end of the day, we're really putting our trust in God to say, I believe you're going to use the relationships around me that you've put in my life to bring that edge to me that I need. You know, Paul says, he says that as Christians, gives two examples. He says we can live one of two ways. We can live like we are on milk our whole life, or we can begin to live like we are on solid food throughout our lives. It's a real simple analogy to, spin, to spiritual maturity. He's saying, yeah, you can get saved and grace of God, you're going to heaven, and look, that is the main thing. But you can live your whole life on milk after that, never growing spiritually mature, never developing any depth to your faith. He says, or you can live on solid food, where you become spiritually mature. You become like the cedars of Lebanon that are strong and solid and grow upright, secure, and no storm that comes can uproot those things. He says, I want you to be spiritually mature, not be immature. You want a surefire recipe to be on milk your whole life? Never open yourself up to other people. Guaranteed to keep you. Myth number 10. Oh, I love this one. I saved it for last. Myth number 10. I will find the perfect church. Oh, if it were so. I'll be the first one to tell you. At the end of the day, look, if you go spend a week with me on vacation every day, I mean, you may love Pastor Matt up here, okay? You spend a week with me every day. I promise you, just ask my wife, she'll tell you, I promise you, I will do something or say something that will annoy you or get under your skin. And you'll probably do it to me too. Because we're all people, right? And that's just, that's just the reality of this thing. There is no perfect church. Let me ask you this. Is there a perfect family? Hey, stop looking at your family members next to you. Oh, no way, you know. Stop. You may say, oh, no, man, my family's great. I don't see anything. There's none of that. You might be the one, okay? <laughs> Hate to break it. But... This notion and this idea that I will find the perfect church, almost like I'm going to find a place where everything that I want is there, nothing gets said or done that I disagree with, it's, it's just everything fits in every way, shape, or form, and I will find that. Hence, we have this popular phrase that's been coined over the last few decades, church hoppers. You may have heard that one, right? Church hoppers. Let's go do the hop now. Sorry. Anyway, um, look, I, I don't believe that a church hopper is someone who goes to another church that was at a different church. I mean, that would be ridiculous, right? That's not a church hopper. I think that term church hopper really refers to people who want everything that they want in a church. It's kind of all about them. And then they keep going places, and as soon as they run into some, some challenges along the way, they pull up and they move on and they go somewhere else. And they just keep going through this rotation and this cycle. Hey, if you've been through five membership programs in the last two years at five different churches, you might be a church hopper. Okay, might be. I'm just saying, like, there are good reasons to leave churches. It happens. God does that. Sometimes God's just moving and shifting things around in the body of Christ. Hey, that calling was needed in this, in this local church in this season, and now I'm going to use that calling and that gift set and that anointing in another place. And that happens. Again, it's spirit-led. When God's in control, he's guiding it, he's confirming it, he's directing it, and it's a beautiful thing, and we can celebrate that stuff. But there's a lot of times where the reasons that people are leaving are more for the wrong reasons. And the, the problem is they never really get planted anywhere, and so the roots never can go down deep, and they never can actually flourish. And the idea that there would somehow be a perfect church, it's just like this fantasy that we would potentially be chasing. It's okay to have priorities and things that are important to you. You've got to align on doctrine. You've got to align on things like I talked about with governance and all this type of stuff. You've got to find alignment around the vision of the church. But at the end of the day, it's never going to be perfect. There may be things that are 
you know, happening there that there need to be solutions for. And God might want to use you to help do something about that and get active in that community, right? But I just want to caution you, please, be very cautious never to develop a critical spirit towards the bride of Christ. You can take that or leave that. That's for me. But I just would say, don't develop a critical spirit towards the bride of Christ. Because Jesus adores his bride. And he's coming back for a glorious bride. And when we criticize and disgrace the local church, there's none that are perfect, right? But when we do and we get a critical spirit, we are criticizing Jesus' bride. And that is a very unhealthy place for anyone to get, in my opinion. So here's the awesome part. When it comes to where we're supposed to be, the church that we're supposed to be at, where we're supposed to be planted, good news, God has something to say about it. He will actually lead you and guide you in this process. It's amazing. Sometimes people land in churches or going to church looking for a church, trying to figure out what to do. And one of the first questions that I'll ever ask is like, well, have you prayed about it? What is God saying? Novel thought, right? Like, it's amazing. Sometimes people don't even think, like, I'm going to inquire of the Lord about this thing. What, where does God want me? But God actually says in his word that he is very intentional about placement. So it's not some random, obscure thing, like, oh, I'll just land wherever I land, no big deal to God. No, God actually cares about where he's positioning you in the community of God, in the local church, in the body of Christ. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, it says, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he has pleased. Now, there's a lot, several theological points that we could break down out of there. Let me just give you one. God is into positioning. Okay? He will place us and put us in his church, in the body of Christ, where he wants us to be. There's a purpose and a design to the thing. And so when we seek him, guess what? He's going to guide our steps in that. I'm not saying you're going to pray one time and you're going to know the answer immediately. You know, there's seasons of prayer sometimes that continue to unfold as we find clarity about things. But God will say something about this. And here's the promise that he makes in his word to all of us, his children, that if you'll seek me and let me guide you then I will put you in a healthy place. It's actually a promise that he makes. In fact, this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Jeremiah 3.15. It says, I will give you, he's talking to Israel, God's people, he says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a great promise that the Lord makes to us? He says, listen, I care about you so much, I'm not going to go set you in a barren field. I'm not going to go set you in a dead, dry pasture where there's no nourishment. God promises us that he will lead us, his children, into healthy pastures where there is green grass, and it's nourishing, and it's thriving, and it's vibrant. And if we seek God and trust him, he will take us to those places. And there will be humble leaders and humble shepherds who will help to cultivate those fields in those pastures. And we will all be healthy and grow healthy together. He goes even further in other places in his word that says this. He says, in fact, if my people find themselves in places that were once healthy, that have become unhealthy, green pastures that have now become brown and barren, he says, I will scatter those flocks and I will send them to other pastures that are healthy. Isn't that something? So God shifts and does things even in the body of Christ like that. In many cases to ensure that his people remain in healthy places where they can continue to be fed and nourished in the word and foundations of God's counsel. Because we have access to the full counsel of God. Isn't that awesome? So I just say in closing with this. No, we're, we're not a perfect church. No, of course not, by no means. 
But we do strive to be, and I believe that we are this particular season, and that doesn't mean that it ensures we always will be. We need to keep doing the right things. But I do believe that we are a healthy church, and that our goal is to continue to be healthy at every level. And so I just close by asking, do you feel like you, let me ask it this way, do you feel like you are flourishing? You say, well, I don't know, Pastor. Are you flourishing in the call that God has for your life? I don't want you to just answer that quickly. I want you to think about that question. Maybe for the rest of the day, the rest of the week. Pray about that. Really meditate on that. Are you flourishing? Get grounded in the fact that God says you can flourish, and I want you to flourish. And ask yourself, am I flourishing in the call that God has for my life? If not, I would just say why? What's, what's standing in your way? Could it be, perhaps, possibly a misunderstanding or improper view of the relationship that we have and should have in the church, in the body of Christ? Are we taking our place? Are we getting our roots down into the soil so that we really can flourish the way God wants to? He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. He wants to use you in this day and in this hour right now to do amazing things. Hallelujah. It's not a mistake or accident that you are where you are right now. The Bible says God has pre-appointed the boundaries and the dwelling places of men on the earth. It means part of your purpose and design is the years and generation that God ordained for you to actually walk this earth in and to do something for her, for him during that time. Isn't that interesting to think about? He has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants to use you. And my prayer today is that you be able to say, there's always more that I can't see, but I believe that I am flourishing. I am thriving in this calling of God that's on my life right now. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's just give the Lord praise before we go today. has a place to hide. I am not a captive to the lies Not afraid to leave my past behind Oh, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love that again. Shame no longer has a place to hide. And I am not a captive to the light. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. Oh, I won't be shaken. I won't be Today was your last day on this earth. Do you know for certain that you would be in heaven when you leave? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. I, I don't know.
please allow me to appeal to you right now in this moment. Jesus offers us assurance for that. He offers us assurance, the blessed hope of knowing our eternal home. It's not a question that you're meant to wander around life not knowing or guessing about. It's a question that's meant to be answered in the deepest recesses of your heart. Say, have you given your life to Christ? Have you surrendered your will entirely to Jesus? Have you turned from the world and turned entirely to Him? There is a moment of surrender that must happen in our heart to completely turn over control to Jesus and turn away from the world and turn entirely to Him. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that I've ever really made that decision in my life. I don't know that I can say I've ever really truly given and surrendered my heart to Christ. Or maybe you're in another scenario and you've walked away from God. You've walked with Him in your past, but you've kind of drifted away down a broken road and you're not even sure how you got to where you are. But you know in your heart that God's drawing you back to Him. And I just want to erase any lie that the enemy would try to feed you that says that you've got to go earn your way back to Jesus before you can walk with Him again. Like the picture of the father and the prodigal son. When a heart is turned back to Jesus, He's there with open arms running to meet us right where we are. He's not waiting for you to grovel and get your way back to Him. He wants to meet you right where you are in your place of repentance and welcome you back in and lead you and guide you down this path that He has for you. You say, Pastor, I, I, need, I need that prayer today. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to get back to walking with Him. Wherever you're at, wherever your situation I want to ask you if you want that prayer today. It's an invitation of grace that you cannot earn, that is freely available to you by the blood of Jesus. Will you receive it? Everybody could just bow their heads, close their eyes for a moment. If you say, Pastor, I want that prayer today. I want to get back to walking with Christ. Or I, want to, I want to live for Christ. I want to know that I'm going to heaven that's you, on the count of three, would you just raise your hand so I can see who you are and I will lead you in this prayer. This could be your moment right now. One, two, three. All over this place, yes, I see your hand back there. Is there anyone else that says, I need Christ today? I want to get back to walking with Him. Hallelujah person that raised their hand back there, I just lead you in this prayer and just encourage you. This is about your heart mean business with God. You say, Lord, I come to you today and I give my heart to you, entirely to you. Lord, I lay down my will and my own desires. I lay them down, God, entirely for you. I want your will above my own. I turn from the world, from any of my sin, old ways, and I turn, God, entirely to you in this moment today. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, come. Flood on the inside of me. Fill me full. Help me to become the person that you've created me to be. God, make me a new creation in you. Life flowing through me, your life, God, and the assurance, the hope of salvation and of eternity affecting my life every single day. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Oh.